You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And I'm still doing the show remotely from home. The cases are down to zero, but we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And the Doing Time show has worked extensively in particular with First Nations people, to highlight some of the economic inequalities and also some of the problems um, that have been experienced in both in prison and in custody. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe, who has, who has replaced Richard Di Natoli as Green Senator for Victoria. And Lydia has been on our show... Um, quite a few times on the show and she is an Aboriginal activist and a Gunai and Gundjimara Gundjimara woman and we're going to be speaking with her shortly hopefully about Japarong what's happening with the trees or the no trees no treaty basically and we'll be speaking with her about what her goals are as a senator and then after that, we'll be speaking with Anthony Kelly from Kensington Flemington Community Legal Centre, and we're going to be speaking with him about police investigating police and looking at a report that Mr Daniel Andrews has been avoiding, and there have been massive delays in regards to this particular report, which has passed through the Senate, to look at some of the independent investigations that should be happening with police and is not happening. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Lucy Honan in regards to a protest that happened at the Mantra Hotel on Saturday. There are countless detainees that are being locked up, not only in hotels, but also in um, other detention centres all over Australia and also offshore. And in particular, um, as a high risk, they're in high risk of getting coronavirus in the pandemic. Lucy Honan is from the Refugee Action Collective in Victoria. So coming up shortly, we'll be speaking with Lydia Thorpe. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. 
lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems. And now everything else. I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who, who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know. I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now but she might be quite left she might just be a spiritual hippie type but there's this broad appeal to things like save the children and great awakenings there's almost a hippie like quality to it particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of, of traditional Q and it's getting people in there but Q is not just a conspiracy theory is it it is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months so your auntie's gonna be talking about make Australia great again in six months if she isn't right now You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6pm Tuesdays. And you've just tuned into the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.06. We're still trying to get on to Lydia Thorpe, but in the meantime, um, stay tuned and listen to a song by Archie Roach called Charcoal Lane. Side by side, we'd walk along to the end of Gertrude Street. Then we'd top all in mustard for a coat of wine. Thick or thin, right or wrong, in the cold and in the heat. We'd cross over Smith Street to the end of the line Then we laugh and sing Do anything To take away the pain Trying to keep it down As it first went round 
3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately... 11 minutes past four, and unfortunately we weren't able to get on to Lydia Thorpe I'm not quite quite sure what's happened, um, but we'll endeavour to get her on next week and talk about all all that. But in the meantime, um, before we speak with Anthony Kelly, I think what I'll do is I'll read out an article from The Guardian um, about Lydia, because it is terribly important. She's the first Aboriginal senator um, in Victoria. And, And I'll just read out from The Guardian... Lydia Thorpe is Victoria's first Aboriginal senator. 
urges end to deaths in custody and mass incarceration. And she's, there's a photo of her in The Guardian with standing with Greens leader Adam Bannett, who says, um, again, she's mentioning how deaths in custody is really important. Um, so she also mentions that Australia must reverse the entrenched economic inequality that this pandemic has highlighted. Um, so I'll just keep reading here. Australia's failures towards First Nations people have become entrenched through decades of inaction, Victoria's first Aboriginal senator has declared, while vowing to right these wrongs. Lydia Thorpe, who has attended her first Greens party room meeting, is set to be named as its First Nations and Justice spokesperson. And, and she said that Australia's failures was not just a result of a few bad policy decisions. If we're to right these wrongs, we need to fix the system, said Thorpe, who has entered the Senate after the retirement of the former Greens leader, Richard Di Natoli. That means ending deaths in custody and the mass incarceration of First Nations peoples, righting the wrongs of the past and moving forward through treaty and reversing the entrenched economic inequality that this pandemic has highlighted. Thorpe struck a hopeful note, however, saying the Black Lives Matter movement had empowered communities around the world to demand justice for First Nations people and people of colour. The comments come as the Greens signal that they intend to push for a national strategy to counter Australia's growing tide of far-right nationalism and tackle systemic racism. This year, the heads of spy agency ASIO and the Australian Federal Police have both acknowledged the rising threat posed by far-right extremism in Australia, prompting, prompting Labor to call on the government to ensure it is adequately funding programs to counter violent extremism across the extremist spectrum. The leader of the Greens, Adam Bandit, said the past two years had seen the far-right emboldened in Australian politics. That meant it was no longer sufficient for political leaders to simply preach acceptance of diversity. Aboriginal activist Lydia Thorpe, um, as, as was emphasised earlier, replaced Richard Di Natoli as Green Senator for Victoria. We need to actively prevent hate speech through education, take action against media that uncritically promotes hate, improve standards in our parliament and dismantle the racist structures that fail to deliver First Nations people's justice, Bandit said. He said the New South Wales Senator, Mirren Fadori, would be appointed to a newly created anti-racism portfolio with the goal of sharpening the fight against a toxic surge of the anti-immigrant fringe. Fadori said, Fakuri said Australia had not yet grappled with being the country that raised the Christchurch killer. She said the party would take the fight to the far right and their cheerleaders in Parliament and the media to build a proactively anti-racist movement. That effort would require a range of elements, including introduction of strong hate speech laws, allocation of greater resources to counter the far right, the launch of a national anti-racism campaign and efforts to improve diversity in public life. The institutions that are meant to protect us haven't just failed, they've become captive to the hate 
they're meant to fight, Hakuri said. Any nation where police officers feel comfortable with flashing white supremacist hand gestures is not one where people of colour can feel safe. A Victorian officer was photographed last year making a hand gesture while policing a climate change protest outside a mining conference in Melbourne. The police denied it was the white power symbol. The pandemic has heightened concerns about radicalisation and racism. Earlier this year, more than 80,000 people signed a Change.org petition denouncing racist attacks on Asian Australians during COVID-19 and urging Scott Morrison and other political leaders to call for national unity. The Prime Minister has said he deplores racist attacks. In June, the Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg joined opposition parties in condemning anti-Asian racism in Australia and cowardly attacks during the pandemic. The same month, Australian senators overwhelmingly united to block Pauline Hanson's attempt to put forward an inflammatory All Lives Matter motion. And that's the end of that article, and I think we'll just go into another announcement. I believe that it's almost time for Anthony Kelly to come onto the show now to talk about um, organising an independent investigation system with IBAC to counteract um, police brutality and racial profiling. You know, there's people, like you said, have been on casual for seven years. Well, it's supposed to be casual employment. People want full-time jobs. They don't want to be sitting there casual, not knowing they're going to get any any days, any leave or whatsoever. Especially, you look at all the casuals in the, our industry at the moment, they're sitting home. You know, people want full-time employment, and they, sh- they should be entitled to That's full-time right. employment. And look at all the people who were used and abused as casuals in the aged care sector and all the problems that are facing people now and all the deaths that are following. And the meatworks, a lot of that's casuals, labour hire, you know, you've got blokes travelling around, you know. We want full-time positions and, you know, that's... And people want it. We want to be full-time employed. You want them to have your Christmas holidays. You want to have time with your family. But when you're a casual, you get none of that. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Hi, Man's here from the Japarong Embassy. On October the 26th, after two and a half years of defending sacred women's country, the embassy, family, friends and supporters were forcibly removed from country by Victoria Police. The Andrews State Government, alongside Major Roads Projects Victoria, have begun their violent attack to desecrate the sovereign lands of the Japarong to make way for the duplication of the Western Highway between Buangal and Ararat. There are many old growth trees, one significant tree in particular, a 350-year-old yellow box gum, the Directions tree. She's a placenta tree who holds the DNA of the Japarong ancestors. She was felled by a chainsaw at the hands of a government that is asking for a treaty with its first peoples. The embassy and its frontline protectors are calling out for your help. To find out more, including how to get to the embassy to help defend on the ground, 
visit the Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy's Facebook page. Educate yourself, donate to that Chuff campaign, and spread the word. 3CR supports the Japarong Heritage Protection Embassy. No trees, no treaty. back with the doing time show no trees no treaty indeed and it is disappointing that we were unable to get on to Lydia Thorpe I managed to read out some background of um, what was happening with the Greens and about her becoming senator so hopefully we'll be able to speak with her next week it's approximately 4:20, and we're going to be speaking shortly with Anthony Kelly who is the CEO the chief exec the chief executive officer of the Kensington Flemington Community Legal Centre and we're going to be speaking with him about the push to having independent investigations of police and having a look at a report um, that was meant to have been looked at a long time ago, but apparently it, was, it had gone through the upper house. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. I, I hope. Do I need to correct your title? Is that right? No, no, that's totally fine. <laughs> So for the past two years, the Andrews government has been sitting on an important report. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's been a lot of um, um, talk about this for quite a while now. It's, it's now two years since uh, a joint parliamentary committee um, held uh, public inquiries and uh, lots of us, including victims of police misconduct and, um, and agencies and you know, Aboriginal legal services, put in lots of submissions and um, made um, uh, made representations to that inquiry, and the the end result of that inquiry was this quite a comprehensive and detailed uh, outline of what a an independent investigative system looks like in Victoria. Uh, that's going to you know that's far more independent and transparent and um, you know, capable of investigating uh, police human rights abuses, and. Um, uh, but the, unfortunately, the Victorian government has just sat on it ever since. They uh, had an election, they got in again, they didn't deal with it. Then, then, they, then there was a Royal Commission called into um, how, you know, about the Lawyer X um, controversy, uh, you know, a lawyer being turned by police and used as a witness against her clients. And um, so that Royal Commission has formed a bit of a, an excuse for the government not to... Uh, act on the, the recommendations, and so that's one. So yeah, we've been waiting basically two years for any sort of indication that the government's going to act on these uh, really critical recommendations. It is very critical, and apparently this report made 69 significant recommendations, didn't it, to improve the transparency, impartiality, effectiveness, and efficiency of how allegations of police misconduct are dealt with. Can you talk about that? Sure. So, so the Police Accountability Project, through you know the research of Tamara Hopkins and other people, have for long uh, we've long analysed what a really good independent investigative model looks like. We've looked at Northern Ireland and Canada and the UK, and then what's happening in the US. And it's pretty clear that um, a human right, a, 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 in, an independent investigative model that meets five basic human rights benchmarks is what's needed, what's critical, and what meets international standards. And those benchmarks include, you know, promptness, able to investigate a, a, a serious police misconduct allegation really quickly, um, transparency, so that it's, you know, visible and people can see it and victims and 
Uh, everyone involved gets to know what's going on and the outcomes of that investigation. Um, but it's victim-centred, you know, that families and the victims themselves have a say in what's going on and are treated respectfully throughout the process, which doesn't at all happen at the moment. Uh, and that it's um, hierarchically, institutionally and culturally independent from police. Um, that's really critical. So as we know, um, IBAC investigate only a tiny percentage of uh, police misconduct allegations and, and uh, even deaths in custody um, in police custody uh, are investigated by a police investigator appointed by the, co the coroner. So in so many really serious police misconduct cases, including shootings and, um, you know, serious assaults and abuses and, uh, and human rights abuses such as discriminatory, widespread discriminatory policing, uh, are so far either not investigated or, not investi or only investigated by police themselves. So it's entirely inadequate and inappropriate. And this report identified that. This report actually acknowledged um, our concerns and the concerns of the wider community about this and recommended a system that essentially meets those five benchmarks that I went through. And that's why Nathan, it's so important. Who wrote the report? Uh, it was written by this joint parliamentary committee. It was called the IMARC, IMARC Committee at the time, but now it's transformed into the Oversight and Integrity Committee. So it's made up of MPs from uh, all the all the parties, um, and uh, that's why it's interesting because it is you know it was a widespread concern. It had a Liberal National Party. Um, Kim Wells actually headed up the inquiry from the Liberal National Party, and it had Greens representative on it and Labor Labor representatives on it. So um, it had so much potential to get through Parliament had the government acted on it. Now, however, the, the, what's been stalling it is not only this Royal Commission, but it's pretty obvious that the stalling's to do with because the Police Association and Victoria Police Command have essentially said no. Um, they've opposed this, these reforms, and that's, I think that's the, the big sticking block. You know, I'm just having a look through, through some of my notes, and I remember interviewing you about this two years ago. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's sure something we've been calling to... for. Oh, look, it's something that, the you know, community legal centres, including ours, have been calling for for pretty much 40 years now. It was a key recommendation in the Royal, uh, uh, Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody over 40 years ago. Uh, it's been something that's been called for in just about every deaths in custody investigation. Um, so many law reform and coronial inquests have recommended independent investigations. Um, and it's something that, uh, has been, you know, its core. The, the, the Tanya Day family, in their um, struggle throughout the coronial inquest over the last couple of years, is, have been stridently calling for uh, independent investigations and, um, and highlighted all the problems that, of having a, a police investigator investigating the death of their mum. So it's, there's no... It's, it's not new news, this. It's just... Um, it's one of those systemic issues that it's um, uh, so difficult to get movement on. I mean, it's it's interesting that often some matters are referred to IBAC and it's meant to be the watchdog, isn't it? It's meant to be the that, independent, broad-based anti-corruption commission. That's but right. It so that's... isn't in theory, is it, Anthony? I mean, wouldn't it be better for funding to, and powers... Um, to be improved 
And then there'd be like a new police corruption and misconduct division within IBAC. Yeah, so we were initially, we were discussing this over the years um, within the Police Accountability Project. We were initially quite, you know, a little bit uh, agnostic about whether we wanted IBAC to, to be the main oh. investigative body or actually have a new body. And there are, we've had lots of concerns with IBAC over the years about you know, their, their relationship with police and the, um, and the lack of resources. But we've come around, IBACs are getting better at their investigative processes and their willingness to take on uh, their own their own motion investigations. So IBAC at the moment does have the powers that, that we need to see. They can conduct their own investigations where they see fit. They can conduct systemic reviews when they see fit. And they can also prosecute police. Um, they need more arrest powers and have called for them. But the main problem with um, that they face at the moment is a lack of resourcing. So they don't have the staff or the personnel to um, to carry out more investigations than they currently are, and they're already they're investigating more than they ever used to. Uh, you know, they, they took on the hairs on hyenas case, um, they, they, partly because it was so it got so much media attention at the time, and they. Um, uh, and they've also taken on, you know, the recent case where the the man's head was stomped on in Epping after, oh, yes. you know, um, after visiting the hospital, um, and then you know he's also ran by police, and then his head was stomped on by police. So they, you know, within a day that they take on that as an investigation, uh, they've been doing a lot more um, investigations, but they can't do any more. And the, they recognise, and we recognise that there's a lot more that they need to be doing. And so we've come around to the idea that we, um, the most likely thing is that, um, and this is what the Parliamentary Committee found, is that they recommended a, a dedicated police misconduct and corruption division to be established within IBAC so that it could really focus on police misconduct issues. But it'd be really interesting to see if the 69 recommendations would be implemented. And I suppose my question is, are there are there lots of police in IBAC investigating? Is it wouldn't it still be investigating police investigating police? Um, so yeah, so there needs to be restrictions on how many former police are in the are the, in the investigative team, and there's been various recommendations. We recommend that only a tiny percentage, just no, no more than twenty percent, uh, or I think ten percent, we might have, is um, former police. IBAC already have a policy of not recruiting Victor former Victoria Police, um, but that's one of the problems that they face is having um, uh, civilian investigators who aren't former police. And what we argue is that there's a big range of skills and people out there, you know, aircraft crash investigators and forensic forensic investigators who who are, don't necessarily have police backgrounds but are perfectly capable of doing these sorts of investigations. So. That's something that independent investigative bodies around the world face, and um, it's a, it is a critical issue about not having former police um, or too many former oh, yeah. police in any of these bodies. It's it's quite despicable in that you know. For, I mean, I could list countless examples about, for example, specifically with Aboriginal deaths in custody with Auntie Tanya Day um, in Victoria, and then you've got Lex Watton. Sorry. Not, um, what happened with Cameron Dimaggi, you know, how, and Lex mm. Watton was jailed as a result of it, charged with riot. That was a bit of a domino effect. I suppose what I'm saying is, like, this report has actually passed the upper house, and yet 
there's been a big silence about it and we need to actually crack that open, don't we? Yeah, we do. And um, the government's been, as I said, using the, this Royal Commission as an excuse. And that, that excuse mm. runs out on the 30th of November when the Royal Commission hands down its findings. So what we, the Royal Commission may indeed uh, recommend strengthening IBAC and resourcing it properly to do this sort of independent investigations, or it may not. But in either case, the Victorian government needs to bite the bullet on this and it needs to um, basically take a stand about who controls the police, whether and who controls you know democracy in Victoria really, because if um, the um, parliament needs to make a decision about how police are held to account in our state and not the police association or police command. Yeah. And uh, even if they, even if they say no, then um, um, the government's still got to act and making sure that we've got a an accountability system that ends impunity and can reduce the amount of human rights abuses that we see all too regularly. Indeed. And, and in fact, Anthony, you know, the Australian government will be facing scrutiny and many other aspects of its human rights record when it appears before the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva for its major four-yearly human rights review. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very cynical about that. The United Nations has said several times um, that we need, but, we need yeah. invest, independent investigations. And, you know, the Victorian government did a range of things after the Karina Horvath decision came through yeah. in, uh, back in 2015, and that was good. It responded, but yeah. and that was um, part of the inquiry, was part of its response. But uh, it still needs to put it into legislation as quickly as possible. Um, and just responding to that massive surge in... Um, and an outcry and anger that we saw in June in the Black Lives Matter global yes. movement, you know, and that's that's something that you know this this government's got to respond to if it's going to if it's going to have any sort of um, say on on um, you know systemic racism and institutionalised racism in society. It's got to it's got to tackle um, the impunity the police have currently. Too much impunity and a, a lot of lack of accountability and it's interesting that it, it, during the lockdown it, the report was further delayed wasn't it? Um, yeah well it delayed the coronial inquiry yeah, yeah. It, it delayed the coronial inquiry we, it would have been handed down um, I think much earlier in the year so um, yeah so now it's the 30th of December and we've written to parliamentarians we've, there's a lot of interest in parliament already there's already been motions passed in the upper house so there is a bit of pressure on the government to to um, finally act on this, these um, these reports and finally act on independent investigations. So we've got our fingers crossed. But as you say, whether enough whether or not that's enough, we just don't know. Absolutely. And what can the community do to help to, to speed this up? Um, well, um, we haven't got any action letters or anything on, under the way underway. I think uh, when the Royal Commission comes out, it's going to be another peak period. So if everyone could call on their local members to to act on independent investigations, that would be the most helpful thing at this stage. Um, and also back up, you know, the, everyone everyone who's calling for independent, independent investigations, the families of um, uh, deaths in custody, victims all around Australia have been calling for this. There's a similar inquiry at the moment going on in New South Wales. It just had public hearings last month. Um, and that's you know it's focusing on deaths in custody, whereas ours focused on 
um, you know, police misconduct uh, across the board. Sure. Um, but we're hoping there that, you know, it's, it's potentially New South Wales or leapfrog and um, start acting on deaths in custody investigations um, sooner than Victoria at this rate. I hope so. I mean, it's because it really isn't... In some ways, yes, we do need reform, but it's not just about buyback. It's also about having civilian review boards and making police far more accountable and not having them having so much power. Yeah, that's right. And and also, the the ending of impunity, the infant investigations, is only one peg in our toolbox sort of thing. It's... Um, we need to also end the this inexorable expansion of policing and the expansion of programs such as the PSOs, the, the protective service officers, and um, and you know the driving of prison expansion in Victoria. Um, so the 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 accountability system is um, is only one aspect of what we need to look at. Um, stopping stopping the expansion is is also incredibly critical. Absolutely. Anthony, thank you so much for coming onto the program and I'm hoping we can continue this discussion at a later date. That's okay. And and look, people are always can always head to the website, the policeaccountability.org.au for more detail on any of this stuff. Thanks so much. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks. Take care. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. And you're back with the Doing Time show and we're going to be speaking now with, with Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective Victoria. How are you, Lucy? Good, thanks, Marissa. How are you? Oh, not bad, not bad. For a pandemic, it's not over yet. <laughs> Lucy, yeah, I, I, I was just having a look at what happened on Saturday with the action um, outside the Mantra Hotel. Can you just tell us who the speakers were and just give a little bit of a report back on the protest and just a little bit of background as well? Okay, sure. So... Um, getting a little bit of background feedback, though, while I'm talking, yep. so I'll do my best to talk oh, over that. I, I'm I'm just hearing myself echoing. Oh yes, yeah. I'm doing the the radio remotely from home, so there uh, is a little bit okay. of technical stuff going on there. I'm hoping that's not going to be too annoying for you. I'll I'll just try and ignore it. Um, yeah. But so what we had organised on the weekend was um, about 150 people protesting outside the Mantra Hotel in Preston. And as um, 3CR listeners would know, the Mantra Hotel is um, playing host to the detention of refugees who have been medically evacuated from um, Papua New Guinea and Nauru. Um, the Australian government medically evacuated them, but they've been held in detention 
in hotels across Australia um, for about a year now. Um, some of them are receiving medical treatment, but some of them have not been receiving medical treatment. So there's about 65 refugees in the Mantra Hotel. Um, we protested outside the front of the hotel on Saturday um, to um, demand that those guys be released, but also that any of the refugees and asylum seekers who have been living in the community throughout the pandemic actually get access to Centrelink, so JobKeeper or JobSeeker, which they've been excluded from um, on a very discriminatory basis. Um, so the protest was excellent. We had um, lots of people who were really keen to, um, you know, post-lockdown get out and um, show, show their... Um, solidarity with the guys in Mantra and, and, and let the government know that we haven't gone away and that the lockdown didn't kill our um, kill our protest movement. Um, unfortunately, though, we had a lot of hostility um, and harassment from the police who have, as we know, been given extreme powers throughout the lockdown. So we had um, tried to comply in every possible way with the um, COVID restrictions. Um, at first, we tried to negotiate with police to have separate groups of nine spread out around the mantra, which is a big block of land. So, you know, it would be along Bell Street, Hotham Street, and behind and across the road in the park and so on. Uh, but the police refused to let us do that. They said that it would be gathering for a common purpose. Um, and, you know, like we said to the police, well, people are gathering for a common purpose at High Point Shopping Centre and it's more than 10 people, uh, but they rejected that. Um, so they said that they would fine us if we did that plan. So we came up with another plan, which was to rotate people through in groups of 10. Um, so everyone was texted a 10-minute time slot to show up outside the, um, the Mantra Hotel and across two and a half hours we had groups of 10 show up. And that worked really well. Um, we had um, speakers from inside the mantra, so Ishmael Hussein, who's been detained there, Jana Favero from the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre um, spoke about their campaigns and advocacy, um, and we also had Aaron Mulvaganam from the Tamil Refugee Council, um, and that was really awesome. There was a lot of good energy and vibes, as I said. Um, we got some great media, but unfortunately the police did harass us throughout the entire protest. They were taking people's numbers. They told people that they um, needed to give them their number for contact tracing, which is just untrue. Um, and what they also threatened quite a few people with fines um, just for standing on, the, on, on a footpath more than 1.5 metres beyond anybody else without giving them an opportunity uh, to walk away or, or to get away from the scene. So we're really, you know, we've had a hard time with um, the police outside the mantra um, and all throughout the, the lockdown with their um, attempt to use the restrictions uh, to restrict our right to protest. And we can see, um, we saw from the weekend that we're, we're facing a bit of an uphill battle. Um, and we will still have to keep organising together across different protest movements for our right to protest. You know, I just find that really galling that police would ask for numbers for contact tracing. That yeah, is, no, it was yes. it was false because we had everybody's everybody had to register to come to the protest oh. so that we could organise the groups in groups of nine. So we said to the police, we've got contact details. If anybody, you know, if there is a COVID situation, which is very unlikely given the situation and that we're outside and we're in such kind of restricted circumstances, but we've got their numbers. But the police, um, just as an act of intimidation, were um, going around asking for people to tell them um, their details. Did they give them? Some people did. Um, and some, there was confusion because I think people think, you know, well, 
are the police asking me these details and I have to give these details to them? Especially if the police are saying things as they were to some people, you have to give us our, your details because we think that you are breaking the regulations and breaking the law. Whereas other work. people, they were saying... No, we yeah. weren't at all. Of course, it was ridiculous. But other people, they were um, they were saying that it's about contact tracing. So there was quite a lot of confusion on the day about, well, do we need to give them? Do we not? Lots of people did successfully refuse, though. This really needs to be referred to the Melbourne Activist Legal Support as to see if a workshop can be done about knowing your rights. Because really, under these circumstances, if people are adhering to the restrictions and they're going in groups of nine, the police shouldn't be doing that. Absolutely not. And males have been so supportive throughout the whole pandemic as observers and so on, and we hope that we can, yeah, as you say, um, get a workshop and some info from them for future RAC protests. Absolutely, because, you know, some I've actually done quite a lot of work with Mel, um, a lot of media work, and if you ever want to have a look at some of the the panel discussions that have been on the show do so. And there's I will do. Thanks, Marissa. Yes. It's approximately 4.45 and you're listening to an interview with Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective. So basically the mantra, Maita, Best Western Faulkner and all detention centres must close. And this has been after seven years. Refugees have to be released into the community on permanent protection visas, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, look at this. There's all these medical evacua evacuations. I mean, some of these people, and isn't it true, Lucy, we do need to highlight this, this to listeners, that people who are imprisoned in the mantra were initially brought here as a result of the Medivac legislation, which, which was repealed. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So this is the, the, we, we understand this to be the government's revenge. Um, the medical evacuation legislation was one against the government that was forced on them by the movement and, um, you know, parliamentarians who ultimately reflected the view of the movement that we wanted the men off Manus and Nauru. Um, and we got that Medivac legislation in that forced the government to bring people here if doctors said they needed to be brought um, to safety. Um, so, you know, a couple of hundred men did, uh, not just men, but people were evacuated. But it didn't, you know, the letter of the law didn't say that they needed to be treated when they were brought here. So people were brought here, but as I said before, have been living locked up. The guys in the mantra are telling us that they've been in there for 23 hours a day. Um, you know, maybe they leave their room for one hour, walk up and down the tiny corridor, maybe play some ping pong and then back in the room. Um, it's just horrific with no end in sight, no commitment to um, to medical care on the behalf of, on the part of the government. And those people who do actually get access to medical care or have to go to emergency uh, because we know that the rates of suicide and self-harm have skyrocketed during the course of the pandemic. When they've gone to their medical appointment, upon return to the mantra, they're being detained in isolation in the basement of the mantra under the guise of COVID safety, that it's quarantine. But the, the, but the guards who took them, who bring them back and forth, are obviously not meant to be quarantined. They're not quarantined at all. So it's another form of punishment that anybody, you know, accessing medical care is punished then with, with isolation. And as I'm sure you can understand, a lot of the a lot of the medical care they need is psychiatric as well as physical. To be punished like that, um, to know that you're going to face isolation for two weeks if you access medical care is just another. Um, it's another form of torture, really. 
Absolutely. And also, it looks as if here that RAC has highlighted um, in the media release about the plight of refugees and asylum seekers living in the community. Mm. And they've also been cruelly excluded from JobKeeper and, and JobSeeker payments, haven't they? Yep, that's right. So, you know, this is this is t- at, at the beginning of the pandemic when um, the Morrison government announced JobKeeper and JobSeeker would be increased and um, introduced. Uh, they made very careful decision and a very conscious decision to exclude all um, all people on temporary visas, and that includes... Um, you know, many, many asylum seekers and um, refugees, as we know. And the result has just been um, devastating because throughout the pandemic, most of the charities that refugees and asylum seekers have been relying on have been at reduced capacity as well. Um, so as I was saying at the, the protest yesterday, uh, on Saturday, um, teachers and, you know, the Teachers Refugees Network um, is aware of lots of families where kids have, um, you know, been reliant on, the school to um, to, to eat, um, to be clothed. Um, they're completely reliant on it. But these are people, these are the rare people who do have, you know, they're plugged in in that way to a school or to, to some um, kind of um, social safety net. Um, there are lots of people who just haven't been and the destitution is um, horrific and it's calculated on the part of the government. When we've seen the billions that they're willing to pour into corporate Australia for them to survive the pandemic but they're not willing to support um, people on temporary visas, um, it, it's ruthless of them and, and a calculated racism that we know they're capable of. And not only is it ruthless but you've also got your, your Murdoch and mainstream media that are that are doing a lot of peddling of ridiculous um, paraphernalia hate speech whereby you've got some community members in this country who are saying, oh, but asylum seekers and refugees don't deserve JobKeeper and JobSeeker and I'm a citizen so I deserve to have um, medical care and other things over refugees. And it just really... It, it's such... It's such a divide-and-conquer law, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. That's exactly what it's designed for, yeah, to make people feel like they're squabbling over the scraps. Um, and, and you know, it's a it's a, um, a punitive policy as well. It's a deterrent policy to make sure that any refugees or, or people who have been displaced around the world from the kind of horrific wars that we've seen Australia engage in um, you know, another another reason for displacement to send a warning signal to them, don't come here, you know, we'll leave you absolutely destitute and the cruelty won't stop when you leave detention. Uh, that's that's the sort of um, government that we've got. It's not the sort of society. I mean, I think when people become aware of what's happening, um, yes, so for some people the racism resonates and they, they form an attachment to that explanation that, you know, these people deserve it. But for many people, it's just there's there's a sense of solidarity that we've all been screwed yes. during this pandemic. That we've all been kind of, you know, had the wool thrown over our eyes, and while the corporates get their massive, massive bailouts, we've we've been dealing with, um, you know, the crumbs from the table. So I think that, um, yeah, there's an attempt on the part of this government to be divisive and that divide and conquer, as you say. But I feel like we we do have a really strong refugee rights movement in this country that we need to kind of put back together, re-mobilise on the streets and reach out to people to let them know that this is happening.
I'm hoping so. I'm, I mean, 3CR really does have quite a lot of amazing listeners and it, what you're saying is, is true. There is a lot of solidarity. However, you know, we need to do more outreach as a movement because I, I'm actually in touch with a lot of, a lot of um, people in this mm. country that are not in solidarity and they need to be reached out to. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. They need to know what's happening and they need to know what the alternative is and that, you know, we are stronger together. Basically, too, that Premier Daniel Andrews needs to do two things. He needs to end the discriminatory restrictions on political activity and he he needs to also um, end his silence on what's happening in Victoria yeah. with refugees. Isn't it correct, Lucy, that um, federal colleagues have um, spoken repeatedly against the Scott Morrison's indefinite refugees in Victoria? So, uh, some there have been some um, critics, definitely. So there's, you know, Chris, uh, Jed Carney recently elected. Um, Giles has also spoken out against the mantra. Um, we need more of that. Um, but what, what we wanted to draw attention to as RAC Victoria is is just Daniel Andrews' really discriminatory response to the restrictions. So, like I said earlier. Um, you know, you can have hundreds of people packed together in a shopping centre. I come to work and there's 1,750 people in the in-school buildings every day, but um, groups of 10 outside the mantra in the open air, 1.5 metres apart from each other, and the police are, um, you know, on us, all over us, um, and, and also kind of setting setting goalposts in the negotiations about what we can do and then resetting them and then resetting them again on the day, making us try really trying to intimidate and repress protest movement. So we we really are concerned that Andrews, you know, is has got lots of double standards in terms of this roadmap out of the restrictions. Uh, we want that to lift. We want the right to protest again. Absolutely particularly because cases are down to zero, there's been no community transmission and you know with his own mouth Daniel Andrews has actually said that you can go out for exercise and there's not really a limit is there I mean you know as long as you're in a group of 10 if you can Mm. exercise in groups of 10 and have a picnic at the park or sit Mm. on a bench why can't you go to the Mantra Hotel who cares what the purpose is why would police care that's right well, we know why they care, <laughs> but, um, you know, <laughs> you know they, need to, they need to back off. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. It's approximately, oh, 4.54. We better be out of here, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on the Marissa. program. Good and we'll talk, talk soon. Bye. Thanks so much. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Music has been at the heart of the city of Darabin's rich cultural history. Beats, Ballads and Ballrooms is an audio tour that covers the history of country, rock, punk, cabaret, rabbinica, folk and traditional music styles in the Darabin area. Experienced as a walking tour via the Echoes app or listened to at home via the web, The tour brings listeners to 15 locations to reveal the songs and stories 
behind the city's venues, past and present. Visit beatsballadsandballrooms.com for more information. Beats, Ballads and Ballrooms was commissioned and funded by Darabin Arts, a hyperlocal. A 3CR supporter. you're back with the Doing Time show and we're going to be going out now with our theme song Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band and stay and stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Okay, bye. Take care of each other. A real 